Amen. Praise the Lord. And I will say that between Wednesday night when we kicked this off and now this morning, Sunday morning, uh, between those two services, especially in those two speakers, you get a complete missions manifesto. So if you were not with us Wednesday night, then you ought to go on our YouTube channel. We, uh, we live stream Wednesday night, I mean, as well as we could uh, anyway at the time. And so it's up there on the YouTube channel. Pastor Joe McCaig spoke. And uh, between that service there and the morning service here, you will get a complete missions manifesto. And that's not enough because we're going to have Brother Gary Phillips is going to be speaking to us tonight. And uh, he's uh, Africa Field Director for Mana Worldwide, which is uh, who we partner with in what we do in Zambia. And um, we didn't even know what all God was doing in Zambia. Until this last summer when Gary and, and Tom uh, went there and eyeballed it directly and found out what was happening. So I'm looking forward to tonight. We've had great interactive times with your kids, both Wednesday night and again this morning. And so tonight, uh, the same thing. It will wrap everything up. So please be here. Make sure you are back here at 5.30, normal service time uh, for a Sunday night. And then we'll give you Wednesday night off. We won't have a Wednesday night um, service this week. And so I'm looking forward to that and hoping that you will be back here. I'm going to ask James uh, Five to go ahead and be coming up. And James was an emergency room nurse, uh, 2010 to 2015. And then uh, he and Rosie really um, became part of history. And they became part of history in the sense that, just like with the uh, ancient Moravians uh, from the time of the Reformation, you know, the Moravians were willing to sell themselves into slavery in order to reach slaves. And that was, that was how far they were willing to go with it. And so James and, and Rosie, uh, you know, just like the uh, missionaries from Victorian England who would go out along the trade routes into Africa and just to share the gospel in the, in the most inhospitable places, uh, you know, they were willing to go and do that in what is otherwise a closed country. In other words, they're willing to go to a country that's close to the gospel, close to missions, you know, closed really to any type of outreach per se, and uh, they were able to go as tent makers to get them in and to do that. And I have advocated uh, when we talk about our living faith fellowship and uh, missions and missionaries we support and so forth that sometimes I think, I think, you know, you almost need to ask people to sign what I will call a Moravian waiver. And that waiver says, you know, I'm willing to die on the field. We're willing to die on the field. Our church, our home church, does not have to feel the obligation to get us off, bring us home, you know, spend $100,000 on medical evac or whatever. Uh, you know, this, this is just the way it is. We're willing to go and to die on that field. And some fields are like that. You just need a, a Moravian waiver. Well, in this case, the uh, authorities um, uh, intervened to say, okay, you've got to get out of town by sundown. Brown, I don't remember. They didn't give you a whole lot of time, I don't think. So they came back in 2019. Um, since that time, uh, James has been serving on the faculty of uh, University of Kansas School of Nursing, their clinical faculty, and also is obviously missionary mission support and LFBI support at uh, Midtown Baptist Temple for us in our, in our institute together. So please give James and Rosie yes. a welcome, if you would. Yeah. Thank you, Alan.
Well, good morning, church. How are you guys? You can be opening up to Genesis 24. That's where we'll be this morning. I was telling the first service that uh, this is a church that I, that I want to preach in. This is a church that's, uh, you know, that, that, that is... That is a good place to preach. And not of them are. All, not all of them are. You know, when you, when you travel a lot, when you preach, you don't actually like all of them. I, I won't put you on the spot, but I'll say that. But here, here's why this one's good. And you know it's good when, when you get up into the pulpit and your voice is already scratchy. Cause you, cause, cause I try to sit there and not sing. And I think I'm gonna save my voice cause I gotta get up and speak. But then you can't not sing because God is already here and God is already at work. and You've got this great worship and God is moving. So I'm over there uh, yelling while I sing. And praise the Lord, they didn't have my mic on then for you guys. So God is at work and it is a joy for me to be here in this place with you. Um, you know, we have been associated with this church for a long time, back into KCBT days where I grew up. Uh, and then came up into Alan and Sam's ministries. And so it is a joy to look out and see people that have probably known me since I was in elementary school even. But uh, man, praise the Lord. Let me pray, and then I'm going to give us a little lead up into Genesis 24, tell you how we got there, and then we'll take a look at it. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's your word, and they're your words that you want to communicate today. And I just want to be your servant. And I want your spirit to move and, and to touch hearts and to do what, what I can't. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so chapter 24, uh, if you're familiar with, with Genesis, is Abraham is asking his servant to go in to find a son for Isaac. For Isaac. Uh, forget all that. Abraham is asking his servant to find a bride for his son Isaac. All right, there we go. That's a good sentence. So that's the, the big picture overview. But how did we get there? And real quick, I'll introduce you to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we meet Abraham. He's 75 years old. So we miss a large portion of Abraham's life um, when we're introduced to him. Um, and we don't know a lot before that. But in Genesis 12:1, God comes and meets with Abraham. And God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. In Genesis 12:2, he says, I'm also going to make you a great nation. And in Genesis 12, 3, he says, in fact, your, you, your family will be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. So essentially, the promise is twofold. You get some land, and you're going to get offspring. You're going to get a whole bunch of offspring, in fact. Uh, your, your offspring will continue to the end of the earth. So he, he gets a great promise there. And, and, in, and in so doing this, we don't know what Abraham was about up until this point. We know very little about his family. But when God came into his life, God gave Abraham a mission, and he gave Abraham a purpose. Did you see that? You see, and this is what, how it should work for us. When God comes into our life, all of a sudden, life changes because it has purpose. And by the way, it is the Lord God Almighty is the only one who can give you purpose for your life. You can wander through all of life, and until you come to that place where you have met God, you have no true purpose. You'll never know it. And with that, you also will not have vision. So Abraham gets a vision. And this becomes you know, the, the, the focus of his life. And if we were to sum it up, we would say the focus of his life was the next generation. Right? In fact, we could say it like this. We could, we could say that the, the family business for Abraham, the family business was building a family. 
That's exactly what he was called to do. And everything else was peripheral. Well, I mean, he had to go walk the land, and he did that. But then God said, build a family. Now listen, believer, this is your family business. Right? This commission, this call that was given to Abraham, it has not changed. If you are a believer in Christ, then the business that you are to be involved in is building a family. The next generation is what matters. That is your purpose. That is why you are here. This is the commission that, that, that should consume all of your life. And so we could ask questions like, why are you in Bible school? Why are you in uh, D2? Is it simply to gain some cool knowledge about the Bible? You will. You'll learn a lot of really cool things. Or is it because you realize you need to get equipped so that you can equip the next generation? Why do you serve in hospitality or in Sunday school or, uh, you know, and uh, or serve coffee or whatever ministry opportunity you have to serve in? Why are you there? Is it because that's what we do at this church? Because that's how you fit into the culture? Is it simply because there was a need, so I stepped up? Or is it because you realize that every ministry of this church is designed to give you opportunity to invest in the next generation? That's why you teach Sunday school. You teach Sunday school because those kids need to know the Word of God. You guys aren't, uh, you guys aren't feeling that. Hello, somebody, right? I mean, well, okay, just uh, you do you, and I'll keep doing what the Lord told me. Let's move on. Okay. So here, we, so here we go. So Abraham gets that and he spends the, the, the rest of his life considering how do I get a, a, a son, an offspring, the next generation. Of course, we have the problem of the wrong son and then we finally get around to the right son. And then by the time we get to Genesis 24, Isaac is now 40 years old. Genesis 25, uh, 20 tells us that Isaac is 40 when he gets married. So he's a grown man and Abraham has been investing in the next generation and he brought up Isaac to be a young man. And, and what he now realizes is that... that in order for him to continue the mission, for him to invest in the next generation, Isaac needs a bride. See, and here's the thing. See, what do I do after I've discipled somebody? What do I do after I've invested in the next generation? Well, you invest in the next generation. That's what you do. You grab another, or you get grandkids, and you start investing. And so Abraham knew that, and that's how we get to Genesis 24. And Abraham was old, verse 1, and well-stricken in age. Interestingly, this, this chapter gives us a kind of an overview of, of the church age. This is God in the Old Testament showing us exactly what will happen in this age in which we were now, are now living. And I'll, I'll lay that out for you very quickly. Uh, you have a few key players here in this chapter. You have Abraham, who is a picture for us of God the Father seeking a bride for his son. You have Isaac, a type of Jesus Christ, the groom, who is waiting for a bride. You have the servant who represents the Holy Spirit for us, who, who is sent by the Father to go into the world and, and to take a message uh, to those who would respond to, to come and to get married. And then you also have the bride, which represents the church, which represents you and me, willing to follow the testimony of the Spirit and to accept the proposal of a man that she has not yet met. Right? And this is how we get saved. This is what happened in my life, and this is what happened in many of your lives, is that somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit, often through uh, the Word of God and a servant of God, came and, and shared the message with you and said, listen, I want to tell you about somebody who has, has already given his life for you and can save you, and I know you've never met him. 
You just have to trust the testimony of His character. And to get saved means that I'm going to enter into a marriage relationship with someone that I've never yet met. And say, I do. I have. Have you? So this chapter begins with Abraham. He's old. And the very last verse of this chapter, chapter 67, ends with Isaac consummating a marriage. And so this chapter takes us from, the, from a dying father onto the son with the hope of the next generation to come. Interestingly, the second verse of this chapter mentions the servant. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. And the second to last verse of this chapter also mentions the servant. So it begins with Abraham, it ends with Isaac, but right in between that, it's the servant. And everything in between is about the servant. Servant appears 14 times in this chapter, more than in any other single chapter in the Bible. If you want to know what a servant is, this is where you come. But what I want to do is I want to change that picture just a little bit so I can fit us into the text this morning. And instead of looking at the servant as the Holy Spirit, I want the servant... For, for our practical purpose today, to get what we need to know about the mission, the servant is you and the servant is me. We are going to come into this story and look at the life of the servant and consider what it means for us to be a servant to the mission that God has given to us. Can we do that? Can you fit in here? All right. Now, first of all, I want you to see the sacrifice of the servant. It says that Abraham was old. I'm going to read a few verses to get us the context set up. Uh, we just read verse 1, and at the end of verse 2, he says, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and unto my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into the land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou... Bring not my son hither again. And the Lord, God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under, his, under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning this matter. And, and when we look at this servant, he's willing to put his hand under the, under the master's thigh and swear. But I want us to see his sacrifice. First of all, we know he's a servant. Which means his life is defined by sacrifice. He's given up all of his will. He's given up everything of his to go and to follow this guy. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2, it tells us most likely who this servant is. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. So we know that this man also had to give up a land. He's a Syrian. He comes out of Damascus. He follows Abraham to where he was. And he follows Abraham now into a new land. So he's given up a homeland. He's given up family. He's given up his relationships to go and to serve. And according to Genesis 15.2, at the time when Abraham had no children, he said, the one that will inherit everything I have is Eliezer. Tradition tells us, uh, Jewish tradition and, and, and what we glean from the Bible, there's no reason to believe that the servant that we're, we're looking at here in Genesis 24 is anyone other than that same Eliezer. Uh, we can identify him from Genesis 15. But look at what he gives up. In the moment that Isaac was born, the servant gives up everything. He was the heir. Isaac's born and now he gets nothing. 
in Genesis 17, God institutes uh, circumcision with Abraham. And, and, and you know, I, I imagine it, it, it went like this because it says that Abraham and Ishmael and, and, and all that were in his house, born and bought, had to get circumcised. And, and Abraham showed up one morning and called a staff meeting. He's like, hey guys, guess what? God spoke to me. And they're like, cool, what did God say? And he's like, well, watch this. And they're like, whoa. And he's like, Ishmael, get up here. You're next. Right? It was the father and then the son. And then who had to lead the servants in that? Well, the leader of the servants did. Here's a man who was willing to sacrifice and willing to be a leader in sacrifice as well. Giving up, giving up over and over again. And, and there's also a Jewish tradition that says that Eliezer himself had a daughter and that it was his heart's desire that his daughter would marry Isaac. Take that for what it will. It's not in the Bible, but if that's true, just another time where this man is giving up absolutely everything for the cause of the mission. And that's our first point for study today is that to be servant to the mission will require sacrifice. The servant to the mission must sacrifice. The mission itself is, of course, worth giving up everything for, but the mission will require you to continually evaluate and look at your life and sacrifice and then sacrifice again. Romans 12.1 calls us to be a living sacrifice, which tells me that it's not a one-time deal. It's that you're still alive because daily the sacrifice may change. The way that, the, that God asks you to sacrifice today may be different, and you're alive. You get to choose. You get to keep doing it. But we know that missions, if you've ever been on a mission trip, if you've ever served in the pastorate, if you've ever helped at any level, you know that it will require sacrifice. It will require a great sacrifice. And you can contrast this servant who is willing to give everything for the mission with, with Mark chapter 10, verse 21 and 22. A, a man who had come to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to follow you? He said, just give up everything. And that man walked away grieved because he had great possessions and wouldn't sacrifice. The next thing that we see, I'm going to summarize the next section of Scripture, uh, verses 10 up through about verse 20. So he gets on his camel and he goes. And and he travels and and they say it was between a two and four week journey one way. And then he gets there and, and it says in, in verse 10, or sorry, verse 12, he gets off and he prays. And he's like, God, what do I do? And then he says, uh, I'm just going to come up with this crazy idea. Uh, whatever, you know, woman will come and, and water these camels. That's the one. That's how I know. And then it says that uh, while he was still praying that Rebecca comes out. And she's like, I'm going to water all these camels. And... Uh, and so the man prayed a very specific prayer, and God answered a very specific prayer. And, and verse 21 is interesting to me. And the man wondered if God had prospered his journey. <laughs> right? Do you ever pray to God and ask him something very specific? And God is like, cool, I can answer that. And he gives it to you specifically, and then you're like, um, I'm not sure, God. Are you sure? I know I said do it that way. I'm like Gideon. I'm like, make this thing wet, but that thing dry. And he does. And you're like, but wait, what if you make that thing wet and then this thing dry? Can you do that? And he keeps doing it and he just keeps answering. And, and, and so a camel can drink 30 to 50 gallons of water in a single sitting. Here's 10 camels. So uh, he had a lot of time, I'm going to assume, to consider whether or not he was actually going to move forward with what God was saying. This woman hauled three to 500 gallons of water up to make sure that these things were... were uh, we're, we're watered. But here's the next point that we have to consider. 
And it's this, that to being servant to the mission will require great stamina. A two to four week trip on the back of a camel, resting for Sabbath only, to get where you're going. How many of you have ridden a camel? Yeah, just a few. I told, it was the same in the morning service, and I'll tell you this, uh, at Midtown, there were a lot of people that have ridden a camel. I think all that tells us is you guys are much more sophisticated uh, than, than Midtown. We're, I guess we're a bunch of just camel-riding um, desert dwellers. Or, I don't know what we are over there. But I'll tell you this. I've ridden a camel, and I don't mean like at the petting zoo. Uh, you know, you go to the zoo and they, you walk on this platform to get onto a camel. I'm telling you, I've ridden a camel for real. And, you know, it's fun because I like an adventure, but it's not comfortable. If you've really ridden a camel, do you know how camels walk? You ride and it's like, you walk like this the whole time. You go, okay, uh, how long is this journey? You're like, oh, just four weeks. And this is what that sermon did for four weeks every day. Listen, the mission that God has called us to will, will require stamina. And stamina is not a character quality of the modern day Christian. There are not a lot who stick it out to the end of their life. And they just keep saying, no matter what, I'm going to walk with the Lord. I don't care how rough the camel ride is. I'm going to do it. It doesn't only require sacrifice, because sacrifice we can do it once or twice, but what it's saying is sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. It will require you to, to have stamina just to keep going. Oftentimes, Sam tells us, uh, over at Midtown, the only way to fail is to quit. Dory told us, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Right? Have stamina. But the, the mission is worth laboring over and sweating over and, 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 and engaging in and, and doing the hard work. Philippians 2.17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. See, it's not just the sacrifice, but it's the service, the continual service of your faith that brings me joy as well. Praise God you sacrificed yesterday, but Stamina says tomorrow is going to ask for a new sacrifice as well. The next thing we need to see is the state of the servant. So he gets there, he's, he's been through this, uh, you know, this journey, and, and it's been hard. And then, uh, you know, I, I summarized it for you. Finally, Rebecca comes out. He decides, okay, so God did answer my prayer. And he runs and he talks to Rebecca. And, and, and then she goes to tell her family. And then the family comes out and they're like, hey, come, come to our house. And they, uh, you know, all of this, of course, takes a lot of time. Um, but by the time he gets there, we'll jump down to verse 32, we get this. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels. And he gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, speak on. And the next thing I want to point out to you about the servant of the mission is this. The servant of the mission must be single-minded. Single-minded. You see, he just got out of this journey. He, he had stamina and he got there. And now here's the opportunity for him to take a rest. Come, wash your feet. Unburden yourself. Unburden your camels. Sit down in this nice chair. And I know, because I've been in, 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 in that part of the world, that this was a feast. They know how to do hospitality. They've put everything out before him. And if it was me, when I travel, 
Like when I get there, all I want to do is take a shower and rest and eat. And he said, no. Put that stuff aside. See, you must have this one singular focus in your life that consumes everything that you are and everything that you do. You must set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. He said, listen, the, the flesh can wait. The things of the Spirit must be done first. I have an errand from my Master that I have to deliver to you. The mission requires that, the, that everything else get put aside. He was solely focused on that. And single-mindedness, by the way, we lack that. We get distracted. We look at other things and we let them come in and take our heart. And that is why we don't have stamina. And that is why we do not sacrifice. Because we are not single-minded. The mission or the work of the ministry will require that there are times, you know, pastors and ministers out here, missionaries, you know, there's days and weeks where I go, Could I, uh, did I even eat this week? I can't remember. Because the mission was so busy and I was so focused on what God was doing. I don't even think I ate this week. Uh, Lord, could I just see my wife for 10 minutes? Can I just say hi? It's like we're passing and, and it's finally we think we're going to get an evening together and then, you know, a counseling emergency. And I'm like, well, it's single-minded. Here we go. I got to deal. That's the way the mission works. The thing about being single-minded is this. James chapter 1 and verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, which means when you are single-minded, it produces stability in your life. Single-mindedness produces stability. It gives you the stamina. It gives you the endurance. It gives you the strength that you need to carry on. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And this is what God does. God comes and in moments like this or in your, in your personal quiet time and at church on a regular basis, God comes and He says, Listen, if I'm God, follow me. And if you're God, then follow you. But you get to decide, but you can't do both. And oftentimes, we respond just like the people. and We answer Him not a word. And then we get to, to, to the next verse, verse 34. So He says, okay, go ahead. I have an errand. I need, I need to present this. And, and uh, verse 34 is key for us. Verse 34 is going to change everything for us. And He said, Eliezer speaking, and Eliezer said, I am Abraham's servant. This is how he identified himself. We never get his name in this chapter, but what we get over and over is that he is a servant. In fact, this isn't a surprise because he's been saying it all along. When he was praying in verse 12, he said, I'm my master Abraham's servant. When you get to uh, ahead to verse 49, he says, deal kindly and truly with my master. And, and he just keeps identifying himself as, as the master servant. And this is the key. For this man, it wasn't about the mission first and foremost. It was about the Master. Because the reality is that I can do the work of the mission and the work of the ministry in the power of my flesh. But I cannot love the Master in the power of my flesh. 
And this is mission focus, and the call to mission focus is this, that the mission should, should be a focus in your life because the Master is the focus of your life. And when the Master becomes the focus of your life, then His will becomes your will, and, and His, His heart becomes your heart, and His joys become your joys, and, and, and His desires become your desires, and the things that He hates become the things that you hate. And all of Him consumes all of you. It has to be master first, not mission first. But when you love the master, you will love the mission. And so this is where we find the, the, the servant, and this is what he declares. And, and so this, this forces us to go back through, and we're going to go real quickly in reverse back through what we just did. We're going to look at those three points again, and, and I'm going to back us out of it again now. So... The third point that we just made, if we revisit that, I'm going to change it to tell you this. The point is that the servant to the master will be secure. It takes you on just being single-minded. And when you know who your master is, you can be confident. You can have a security in everything that comes in life. Right? I don't have to be anybody else except for who God made me to be. Because I am the master's servant. Right? I can't sing as... As good as Sean Kitley. I can't preach as good as Alan Shelby. I'm not as funny as Brian. And I don't grow a beard as good as Jesse. And none of that matters. Because all I have to do is know who God made me to be. And be that. And be secure in that. And deliver the message and do the work that God has called me to do. I want to remind you of... Remember when Saul, Saul, King Saul went to battle and he made an oath one day. He said, nobody eats today. Nobody eats. We're all fasting. Jonathan didn't hear it because Jonathan was out winning battles. And Jonathan gets back and you know, he's with the group and he sees honey and he dips his end of his spear in the honey, eats the, the honey. And then uh, you get to the end of the story and, and Saul's like, well, then Jonathan must die because that was, that was the oath, right? And then what happened? This is where you see a, a stark contrast between those who are willing to serve the mission and those who are willing to serve the master. Because those soldiers, they were in for the mission, but they, the, the master didn't have their heart. Because when the details of the mission came, changed and it was time to kill Jonathan, all those soldiers said, no, sir, not today. That's not happening. And what they revealed was that the one who actually had their heart was Jonathan and not Saul at all. And this is important. This is what we, we, we need, that security. The outcome of this is identity. Uh, I, get to, I know who I am and I can be confident in that. And this is especially important when the details of the mission change. The broad vision will never change. The family business is building a family. Now go and work for the next generation. Okay, how do I do that in Kansas City? Well, it's probably a little different than the way I do it in Mexico City. And so details change. And here's what happens. When the details start to change, that's where people fall off and, and take the opportunity to bail out. 2020 is hard. Details change. I'm out. You know why? You were good with the mission, but you weren't good with the master. James, go to El Salvador. Okay, I'll go to El Salvador. Okay, good. You did a, Now come back and join Sam in a church plant. Okay, I'll come back and join Sam in a church plant. Okay, now go to, go to Southeast Asia. Okay, yes, Lord, I'll go to Southeast Asia. All right, how are things going? Making disciples? Things are going good? Yes, they are. God, good. Leave now and go back to Kansas City. Yes, because you're the master. Because the details of the mission are secondary. The next thing we see backing out, 
Our second point for study, revisited, being servant to the mission, I'm sorry, being servant to the master will require supernatural strength. Not just stamina, because stamina is what I can do in the flesh. But the reality is that the mission that we've been called to requires, requires a strength that we don't have. If all you have is great stamina, great commitment, a willingness to follow, then you will have a 100% fail rate guaranteed because God does the work. And the, and the servant knew that. In verse 12, when he gets there, he gets off the camel, and the first thing he does is he prays. Our mission must be powered by prayer. And prayer is really just an intimacy with the Master. It means I love and want to communicate with the Master, and He has to lead me. So I have to have supernatural power in order to get through whatever it is that my Master is leading me into. In Zechariah 4.6, we're told that it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Second Chronicles 14.11, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. The position that you want to be in is the position of no power. You want to see supernatural strength. Write this down on your, on your, on your handout or wherever you're taking notes. It's not on the screen, but write this. The place of dependence is the place of provision. The place of dependence is the place of provision. And when you look back over the last year, do you see supernatural power in your life, in your ministry, in your family, and the things that have been going on? When you look back over your life, do you see God providing uh, in 2021 and in 2020 when you look back? And you go, I, I no, how come God's not providing for me? Because you never put yourself in a place to depend upon Him. Because you had it. You were able to do it. So He didn't need to. But when we come to full dependence on the Lord, that's where we see the provision of the Lord coming through. This produces a great outcome for us. It produces joy versus pride. You see, all throughout this chapter, the servant is willing to rejoice over what is happening on behalf of his master. Because it wasn't about him and it wasn't about the mission. When the master has your heart, you can rejoice over what he's doing. And if nobody ever thanks me, that's okay. Because i got no pride, no stake in the game. It's all for the master anyway. He can take it. Our last point that we need to revisit is this. That, that being servant to the mission will require great surrender. Not just sacrifice, but complete and total surrender. Because when viewed wrongly, surrender can become a bargaining chip. It can become a trade with God. Like in chess, I can, I can sacrifice my rook or my knight now in order to gain a position down the road. In order to gain power and influence down the road, I will make a sacrifice. And we do that in, in, in missions sometimes, and, and it's dangerous. We do it in church life. We do it in our personal life. We say, well, if I, if I, if I sacrifice and serve with the kids, then God's going to owe me some ministry with adults. Or if I sacrifice and serve in this small ministry, then God owes me something bigger because of my sacrifice, right? If I sacrifice and serve in this hard mission field, then God owes me a place in administration down the road. But we cannot view the mission, the work of God as a gambit. It's not a trade. When you're playing chess and you lay that king down, that is a complete surrender. You have no other moves to make. And this is what God is asking for, is a complete surrender. Far beyond sacrifice. That's what a living sacrifice is. It's one that is all completely surrendered. I'll keep living, but it'll still be a sacrifice. We were in Southeast Asia, and Alan told you what the place was like. And there had been some church bombings. And, uh, and then there was a, an attack on a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand. 
and then the Muslim world was was rallying to retaliate. And the expectation was that churches are going to get blown up. And that happened on a Friday or Saturday, Saturday I guess. And so we get up on Sunday to go to church. I'm preaching at a church. There are churches in Pakistan. Different story, but anyway. As we're walking there, uh, we pull up to, you go down an alley, down an alley, and that's where the church is. And uh, as we pull up to the, to the alley on the main road, there's like this military people mover type vehicle, you know, that you can put 50 soldiers in or something. There's some military guys out there. We turn and we start heading down the alley and there's, you know, two or three uh, fully armed riot gear, machine gun, shields, grenades, soldiers ready for a war. And, they, they, you know, they stop me and they search me and then, you know, they let me go through and I turn the corner to head to the church. Two or three more lining that alley. Same thing. And we go to the church, and the church is an underground church in the, in the literal sense that it, it's like it, it sits down under the ground level. And you walk in, you're literally on the roof of the church, and then you go downstairs. And uh, on the roof of the church, there are three or four more of these soldiers, and they're all there because they are anticipating the church to get blown up that day. They are there to defend the church. This was the most surreal preaching experience of my life to be walking down that alley with my wife and my three kids and to realize what this meant. They think the church will blow up today. Somebody's going to try that. And then to walk in and to get on a stage and, and to begin to deliver a message and to know that on, above my head are you know, four men that are walking around who will hear the, the gospel and will hear the message and are so hard-hearted that they will not bow the knee to one who had sacrificed for them, yet due to patriotism, they were willing to sacrifice their life for me. And oh, by the way, at any moment in this, in this sermon, somebody's going to try to drop a bomb on us. God is asking for complete surrender. Just like Alan mentioned with the Moravians. You don't have to rescue me. You don't have to come and bail us out. This is where we'll be. The outcome here is cost versus value. God tells us the cost, but what we as Christians are bad at is actually assigning the appropriate value to the things of the Lord. Because we try to bargain. I'm going to read Adoniram Judson's letter that he wrote to Anne Hasseltine's father as a proposal to her. He wants to marry this woman and and, and, and this is the letter that he wrote. This is the offer on the table for marriage. And in and, and, and our closing, this is the offer on the table to you today. Are you willing to sacrifice all for the Master and accept this proposal? I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure, to her subjection to the hardships, and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, and for the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and for the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise which will redound to her Savior 
from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. He knew how to sweet talk a lady, didn't he? You're a father of a daughter. Would you accept this proposal? But listen, you are father. You, are, you, are, you, you and I are daughter to the great Heavenly Father, and this is the proposal. Will you accept it? So this is the last, uh, this, this first Sunday of the new year. We've had the last Sunday of the last year. It's all over. Let me, uh, can I just make a quick observation as your pastor? So I'm just going to assume that everybody who is in here, I'm your pastor. And if you're not, I'm going to talk to you that way anyway, if you're watching online or whatever. Um, so let me, let me give you some edifying words as your pastor. Okay, my name is Alan. I'm your friend. So I watch, you know, I watch people, let's say over the last year, I'll watch people. And uh, on Sundays, I'm really too introverted to intervene much. But, but I'll watch people, you know, people come in and, you know, and then, and then after a few weeks or a few months, they might say, well, you know, I just, I don't even feel like I really connected. But I've watched them every Sunday. They come in and as soon as we say amen, they go out. I mean, they're gone. Um, let me encourage you this year, stick around long enough to connect. I mean, make it organic. Make your response to this offer organic like that. Jesus gave an invitation, follow me, and the man did not. Elijah gave an invitation, serve your God, but Israel was silent. What Will God's people in this church do today? You know, what other, what other church, what other churches out there are offering you that divine invitation? And of course, I accept, I, I'm saying an exception for uh, Midtown and Living Faithly Summit. I mean, they're too much us and, and we're too much them. So, but outside of that, what churches you know, do you know that are actually offering that divine invitation to you? What other church is throwing out that eternal opportunity to your youth and to your children? Go ahead and stand with me if you would. Let's, get, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's get ready to pray. And as a general invitation, I'd like to just ask you to be mission central with us this next year, because the mission is critical, so we need you with us to be under mission control. So I'm going to ask you this morning if you will let us know if you'll be part of the launch team for making every member part of missions at Harvest this next year. And if you will, there's a card that is in with your handout in the bulletin. And you can fill that out so we know how to get back in contact with you. Just drop it in the offering box that's on the wall on your way out in here. Or I think there's offering box in the, in the lobby as well. And fill that out. Drop it in. Because that's what I'd like us to be about for this next year. Time is too short. And uh, it may be that you're here today. And even though it's uh, you know a Sunday of inclement weather that you're either visiting or you're not certain of your own relationship with God whether you are a child of God, whether you are one of his people, please 
After I get done praying, meet me up here at the front. Meet us up at the front. If you need any spiritual help or assistance, meet any one of us up here at the front who's standing up here. And uh, let us have a word of prayer with you. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for the ministry of your word through the men and women as they've gone out throughout this building in different parts of it with different age groups. And God, it is so important that every Sunday, first day of the week, celebrating the resurrection life you gave us, that we come together just, just as you have set up. For us to be able to have a corporate time together so those who are introverted can be drawn in with the extroverts, so that those who are extroverted can maybe be curbed a little bit sometimes, I don't know, by the introverts. And we can all be balanced out by your word together and we can all be challenged to move forward in a way that takes us so much further than any one of us could walk alone. Do that that for us. And Lord, I'm not asking you to be with us. Let us be with you in this next new year together. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.